July 12th, on July 12th, 1968, the cover photo of Time Magazine was, was this. And if you're listening online or on the podcast, um, this is a picture, uh, a very disturbing picture of, of two malnourished African children um, from the region of Nigeria, part of an area in Nigeria that two years prior to this in 1968 had seceded from the rest of the nation of I Nigeria and more than, than one million people died in that conflict because of war and famine, uh, because of civil war. Um, and this, this was, Time Magazine covered that story in, 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 the, in that issue in 1968. At the time, <clears throat> Steve Jobs, the, the one-day founder of, of Apple, was 13 years old. And uh, in, in a biography on, on Steve Jobs' life um, that was written by Walter Isaacson, he tells about how Job, Jobs took that magazine to church, to Sunday school with him at his local Lutheran church. And, um, and he asked the pastor, he said this, he said, if I raise my finger, does God know what finger I'm going to raise before I, I even do it? Can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm a little hot up here. Um, if I raise my finger, in, in, will God know which finger I'm going to raise even before I do it? And the minister said, yes, you know, of course, God knows everything. And Jobs replies and pulls out the magazine. He says, well, well does God know about this? And what's going to happen to these children? And according to Isaacson, the biographer, he, Jobs never went back to church again. I start with that story this morning because Steve Jobs is, is, is uh, one of a, in a, of a list of many, many brilliant people who have decided that the idea of a good God in light of the bad stuff that happens, the evil in this world, in light of that, those two things are, are irreconcilable. There's, there's a lot of, of brilliant people out there that, that say, no, th I, I can't believe that. And, and we're, so we're going to talk about it at church, because here's the thing. It's the number one question for us as well, brilliant or not. All of us have thought of this problem, seen this problem. All of us have uh, um, uh, gotten the diagnosis or the news from the doctor, and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and it didn't seem like anything happened. Maybe for you, you lost your mom or your dad, and, and, and you were wondering, why? Why would this happen to me? Uh, when when you're, you're trying to make sense, uh, or maybe you try to make sense of the decisions that your dad made growing up, and you're like, God, why would you allow this? We all have something in our life where we ask the question, why? How would God allow this to happen? And, and many of us have had experiences in life where we came into it with faith, and we went out the other side of it with either no faith or a very different faith. It wasn't the faith that we had as children, but, it, it, but maybe we still have faith. We, we still want to believe in God, but we can't make sense of it. That's what Checkmate is all about. It's a conversation about how do we make sense of the evil that we see in the world? How do we reconcile that with the idea of a good God? And what role does faith play in that? What, what, what should our faith be like 
because of that. What ro- does, does it play anything? Can, can our faith survive that kind of testing? Last week, we talked about how believers in the past have made sense of the, the evil in this world and maintained faith through it. And we said this, that the foundation of their faith the foundation of their faith was not was in a person, not the circumstances. We talked about this for those of you who were here last time together. We talked about how um, we basically Jesus was able to look. Uh, he, he, we looked at a passage from Jesus where he said, "In this world, I, he, he's like, I have a promise for you. In this world, you'll have troubles. But here's another promise: I have overcome the world." I, I checkmate. I've been able to, 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 to I, I, I can overcome the trouble in this world. And that, that's how believers have gotten through um, difficult and, uh, and wrestling with the evil in this world. Now this week, we're going to talk, we're going to back up a step actually, and we're going to talk about, okay, but why is there evil at all? How did evil get there in the first place? In a sense, like why did God even create that lever or that button? You know, like, like if he's a big, all-powerful God, why is it this way? And, and just so you know, I want us to dive right into this because I've got a lot of ground to cover. And, and I have a pact with you and my staff that if I go over 40 minutes, I have to run a mile for every minute. And I have a feeling I'm going to be running this week. So can I just like dive straight into this? Here's what I want to do. It's kind of two portions. The first portion is a little shorter. It's like five, it be five minutes. What I want to do is I want to do a five-minute explanation of the Christian worldview on evil. How, how the Christian worldview explains the existence of evil in the world. Just five minutes. And honestly, my, my goal here is not to defend the Christian faith. It's merely to explain and kind of lay out what it is. And then after that, we're going to look at a passage that I'm really excited to look at out of the, the Gospel of John. But we're going to start by this explanation. Now, I, for this explanation, I brought in a ringer because the, the, there's, there's, so many, there's so much that's written about this, this question of, like, wh- why evil? In fact, if, if you're in the midst of something right now and you're just really trying to make sense of it, I want you to know you are in the right place. Like, like, we all ask this question, and, and, and all of us struggle with it and, and grapple with it, wrestle with it. It's been wrestled with for 2,000 years. There's so much written on this. There's brilliant minds who have taken this out. One of those brilliant minds is a guy by, na- by the name of C.S. Lewis. He looks like this. I love this picture. He's smoking a pipe, and like it's just, he's this classy British guy. Um, it, it, he's a British novelist and academic. And what we're going to do in here in a second is I'm going to outline his, how he explains and goes about explaining um, um, the, the problem of evil in the world. He was a professor at Oxford and Cambridge in, 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 in uh, England. He spent most, most of his adult life as an atheist, and then later in life actually converted to Christianity. He's a fascinating author. I think what's most fascinating about him to me is there's some of his works, I've, I've read most of his works, and some of his works I can't hardly get through because it's so heady, it's so meaty, and it's very British, which is like you got to get used to when you're reading it as well. But he's, so he's this brilliant r- author on one side, and then maybe what he's most famous for is children's books. The, the Chronicles of Narnia is, is his, uh, his um, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, 
Um, many of you, how many of you grew up, uh, read that as a kid? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, so a lot of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. He's an unbelievable guy. Um, here's a couple other tidbits about him. He's, he was good friends with uh, Tolkien, the, the Fellowship of the Rings guy. Um, and, and actually, Tolkien had an instrumental part of his coming to faith. Um, and then he, he also died in 1963 on the same day that JFK died. His opus, his, his great uh, work of, uh, like his great writing is, is called Mere Christianity, where he, he dive, dives in and he basically explains the simple, uh, Christianity is, is simply as he can. That's why it's called Mere Christianity. It was actually not written first, put out first as a book. It was a series of BBC radio talks that he gave uh, during the years from, from 1941 to 1944 right at the height of World War II, right at the time when a bunch of people were probably thinking to themselves, where is God, right? That the people were trying to make sense of the world as they knew of, you know, with Nazi Germany and all of this, all of these crazy things going on. And he, he, put, he was on um, BBC radio talking and he'd give these little vignettes on what it means to be a Christian and to have faith in the midst of this. And that became mere Christianity just so you know, it's a little trivia for you today, uh, in case you ever, you know, Jeopardy or something like that. Um, here's the thing. I, as he tackles this issue in the book, he warns us that there's no simple explanation for the dilemma of evil in this world. He, he, there's no an emotionally satisfying answer to the question. There's no angle that one can find and say, oh, now I get it, and now all of the, the, it makes sense of all the hardship I've had in life. There's, there's nothing like that. He, goes, he says it this way. It is no good asking for a simple religion. After all, real things are not simple. You know, he, he basically says, like, you know, I look at a table and it says simple, but like on the molecular level, it's not simple at all. You know, the eye seems like a very simple thing, but it's actually one of the most complex things in the universe. He's like, the, the, in real life, things are not simple. They look simple, but they are not. And if we go on, to a, go on and ask what is really happening, what is really happening in the world with good and evil, then you must be prepared for something difficult. That's kind of how he sets up talking about this, is, is if you're going to tackle this issue, you can say it simply, you can state the problem simply, but the answer is not going to be simple. It's probably going to be difficult or complex or difficult to hear, to, difficult to, to I'm not, uh, wow, I don't know if I like that, is what he's saying. He says, evil is a parasite, not the original. He takes the, the, the view that, that evil is, is actually, it's, it's, it's something that is trying to, is distorting good in order to, to benefit itself. Evil is the parasite, not the original. He talks about how in the New Testament, he's like, when, when I became a Christian, I started to read the New Testament. He's like, I was amazed at the amount of, of the New Testament talking about dark powers and darkness in this world. And he, and he says this, Christianity thinks this dark power was created by God. It was good when it was created and went wrong. Therefore, the universe is at war, but it does not think that it is war between independent powers. And this, this is what I want us to see. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. 
So, so Lewis says, you have to understand, you have to look at the world this way, that there, there is, there is a, a, a conflict between good and evil. That conflict didn't always exist. We'll get there in a second. But th- that, that conflict is, is, is warring, and we are in the middle of it. We are in the middle of a civil war, which honestly, I don't know what you think of when I say that, but it's not hard to believe if you look at the news. Like, like there just seems like there's a lot of you, there's times where we're overwhelmed by how good people are, and then there's times where we're overwhelmed by how, how bad, and it's like, which one is it? It's like, well, it's kind of both, because the world is at war, because we are in enemy-occupied territory. It's kind of like a game of chess. There's a, there's a battle. There's, there's darkness, and there's light, which, which then he says, he goes on to say, which brings up the question, why would God allow us to, to this to be a possibility? Why would, why, would he al- why would he make us with such rotten stuff, C.S. Lewis says? With the, you know, like, why would he even put, why did he put that stuff in us? And he's like, well, it's not that simple. Because he, he says, the thing is, 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 um, if God filled us with a, a bunch of good stuff, he filled us so that we could be clever and strong and free. And the problem is, is the more free we are, the more clever we are, the more strong we are, the more we can use that for bad, right? Like, like imagine a knife that, that's real. Like, like you want a good knife, you want a sharp knife. That knife could be used for doing good things you know, with a sharp knife. It can also be used for horrible things too. It cuts both ways. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's, and, and, and we've all experienced this as parents as well. C.S. Lewis talks about parenting. He's like, we, it might be our will that our kids go and clean their room. And we say, I'm going to give you the space. You need to clean your room this afternoon, right? And then what happens at the end of the afternoon? The, the room is worse than it was when it started. And you're like, I, I gave you the freedom. I didn't yell. I don't want to be the parent that yells at you, Right? Tell you all the time, no, no, we want to be able to say, hey, I want to give you the space. But the reality is the room would never be clean if we did that. And that's the point here with, with, with that C.S. Lewis is making is like, listen, it's, it's not that God put rotten stuff in us. He put a lot of good stuff in us. And we used it in rotten ways. And then he goes on to say, that, like, the, the reason he put the good stuff in us is because he wanted to make us capable of a certain type of love, to have courage, to be able to, to, to do things and make decisions. And then and he says this, and for that, they must be free. The moment that we, you have a self at all, there's a possibility of putting yourself first. Do you catch that? Wanting to be the center of everything, wanting to be God, in fact. He's like, the moment, like, for true self to exist, that, that assumes that that self can put itself center and put itself in the place of God, and that's exactly that, what we did. That's what, that's, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, that's what the devil did, and that's what he taught us to do, is he baited us into saying, no, no, you can be like God, you can, make, you can make your own calls. You can be the sentient, and we followed. That's what C.S. Lewis says has happened here. Now, this begs the question. Didn't God see that coming? Like, like didn't he see that that was going to happen? That this, this, that this evil, evil would come? Uh, and then and C.S. Lewis says, says this, Of course God knew 
what would happen if they used their freedom the wrong way. Apparently, he thought it worth the risk. And that's the Christian worldview. It's not entirely satisfying, is it? It's not, it's not like, oh, I feel so much better now. But that for, for centuries, Christians, C.S. Lewis is just one of them, brilliant minds have come to it and said, this is, is, this is how we explain what we see. We don't understand all of it, but it must have been worth it. And that's why God allowed it. Now, that explains where evil came from, from the Christian mindset. It does not explain how God feels about <clears throat> the suffering and evil in this world. Let me get a drink of water quick. <clears throat> while, that, while that line of reasoning explains where, uh, you know, how evil came into this world, it doesn't explain God's response to it. It doesn't explain what does God view, feel, thinks, how does he see the world. And, and here's the thing. The passage that we're about to look at is really, it is an incredible passage out of the New Testament that answers that question of, okay, but how does God feel about it? And not only, God, it not only shows us how God responds to the suffering in the world, it, it shows us how he responds. Catch this. It shows us how he responds to people who are struggling with the suffering in this world. Because there's the many characters in the story we're about to look at that, that, that are wrestling. They, they can't make sense of it. And it shows God's response to them. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited to see it. This is the story of Lazarus. So, some of you have heard, if you grew up in church, you probably know this story. It can be found in the Gospel of John, and John was one of the eyewitnesses to the crazy cool things that, that Jesus did, and he wrote them down. This is in John 11. <clears throat> it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So th these are, these are, the, these are the, the people, Lazarus and, and, and Mary and Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with his hair. The, the, if you know the New Testament stories, you know this, that there was this intimate moment between Mary and, and Jesus where she, she actually anointed his feet in, in public. <laughs> and, and it was this big scene and that kind of stuff. But they have this, they have this backstory, like they have this common experience. They know each other well. So, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, and listen to the message that they send to Jesus. Listen, you feel the drama on this. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, imagine knowing somebody so well that you could send them a message that just says this, the one you love is sick. That's a close friend, right? No names, no, no just the one you love. Oh, that's Lazarus. That's how close Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus, they ate together. They, 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 they spent time together. It was like family. The one you love is sick. When he heard this, this is verse 4, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And now here we get a little bit of insight. Again, this passage shows us how God views suffering, how he sees suffering, the suffering that you and I are going through. 
we get a little bit of glimpse of how he views sickness and suffering here. It can be for his glory is what Jesus is saying. This sickness will not lead to death. It'll actually lead into the glory. And see, this is a different kind of category. See, we're all for the glory of God, right? When it's like something good happens to us, like we're blessed or we got a bonus or a promotion and be like, hey, and you're talking with your friends. They're like, that is so cool. And you're like, yeah, I just, I want to give thanks to God. I want to give him the glory. We're great at giving God glory then. This is the hard one. This is a hard category. This, is a, you know, this sickness will not lead to death, but it will lead to the, gl- the glorification of God. Verse five. Now Jesus loved, in, in case you missed it, he loved Martha <clears throat> and her sister and Lazarus. This was not your average relationship. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he did what any good friend would do, and he waited two days. Isn't this crazy? And then he said to his disciples, okay, now it's been a couple days. Now let's go to Judea. That's two, before we move on too quickly, that's two days where Lazarus was suffering. Two days where, where Mary and Martha had to just sit and watch and you know, try to care for him. And does this help? And you, do you need a pillow there, some water? Nothing. It just gets worse and worse. Two days where Mary and Martha took turns, uh, you know, looking for Jesus. You know, like, okay, uh, I'll go look for him. In his, maybe he's on his way on the road. No, he's not coming. Two days of trying to explain to people, no, Jesus is coming. That's two days. Have you ever felt like God was two days late? Yeah, we all have. We've, we've all prayed those prayers, and it's like, anything? Two days went by. He waited two days and nothing happened after that he said this he went on to tell him our friend Lazarus this is verse 11 our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going up to wake him and this this is part is so funny his disciples replied Lord if he sleeps he'll get better you know like like you know like that's what happened is when you sleep it, it helps sleep it off you know so why don't we just you know let him sleep and, and, and Jesus is like, um, no, I was speaking of his death. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Now, here's one of the reasons why I believe that this isn't just a story and that this actually happened. <laughs> because the detail's like this. Because it's like, it's like they're, they're looking at it and, and, and they're trying to figure out, you know, what does Jesus mean? Like, uh, it, there's this confusion. Like, no, he, guys, he's, he's, he's actually dead. Oh, he's dead? How does Jesus know he's dead? I don't know. You know, it's like there's all this confusion, but there's this honesty in it as well. I mean, if you were making this stuff up, like if you were writing a Bible and, and wanting people to follow it, I don't think you would include things like this. Verse 14, so then he told them play, plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then catch this. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Now, now we got to say time out. Okay, Jesus, yep, glad for our sake. What about Lazarus' sake? Like he, he you know, the, the whole death thing, he probably does not think that that's all that great. What about Mary and Martha's sake? He's like, no, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there. And they're like, but didn't they get the short end of the stick? Is it like, like is, that, is that worth it? Is it? He's like, no, I don't think they got the short on the, short on the stick because what he's saying here, he's like, I'm glad that I wasn't there 
because that something's about to happen. It was worth the stress. It was worth the pain. It was worth the confusion, the heartbreak, the mystery, the explaining to friends. Something's about to, he's saying something's about to happen that was worth all of that. I have something so big and so monumental and value, so valuable for you to see and learn here that I'm glad that I wasn't there and that he died. Whew. I don't love that. I, 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 that doesn't sit well with me. He, let me, let me sit, let, here's, here's, here's why. Here's, here's why he says this. I'm glad that you were, I was not there so that you may, and say that word with me, believe. This word appears many, many times for throughout the rest of this passage. It's a little unsettling. What we learn here is Jesus is willing to allow suffering that leads to belief. He's, a lo- he's willing to allow us to suffer if it means that we will believe. I don't love that. It's severe. It's not what I want to believe about God. This next part's funny. Then Thomas, verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's go also so that we may die with him. Okay, like what? <laughs> like again, I don't, you can't make this stuff up. Like, like, do you ever have one of those friends that you can't tell if they're being literal or metaphorical? I think that was Jesus all the time. That the disciples are like, so we're sheep? No, you're not literally sheep. Okay, okay good, good. So he's dead? Well, I'm going to go die with them. That, no, you don't want the flu. Okay, like, like that's not my, it's just, it's, it's funny to, like, when I, there's a lot of this kind of detail in the Bible where it's like, what is that? It almost makes me think it happened. Anyway, um, he, he goes on to say, uh, this is verse 21. Oh, so then they get there. So they get to, they get to, and this, if this was a movie, this would be the dramatic scene. When, when Jesus is showing up extremely late. Lord, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, so imagine the movie's building, the music's building, and, and, and Martha comes out of the house, sees Jesus, runs up to him, and gives him an earful. Lord, if you had been here, in other words, This is your fault. Lord, I've seen you heal complete strangers. I've seen you heal people you didn't even know their names. I've seen you heal a Roman centurion, like a Roman centurion's like servant, like odd, was like a cousin or something. You, not only did you heal that person, you weren't even there. You, like somebody came up to you and, and you said, this person's sick. And he's like, no, actually they're not anymore. So go ahead and like, I, I, I've taken care of it from afar. Jesus, why didn't you just do that here? If you were here, this would not have happened. I want you to, ca- I don't want you to miss the emotion in this. Because John paints it not once, but twice. This happens, the same conversation with Mary a couple verses down. This is a pounding on the chest. God, where are you? And Jesus takes it. 
Jesus, Jesus doesn't yell at her. He, he, this, this story is so important because these are good people who want to believe in Jesus. They've seen him do amazing things. They, they don't question his authority. They're starting to question his goodness. And they're pounding on the chest and saying, why? And what's so cool about this passage is Jesus allows his chest to be pounded. It doesn't scare him away. It doesn't get him angry. It doesn't, he's there for them. This is so interesting. If you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know, and in other words, I, I believe that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's why we called you, Jesus. Even now, I, I, I can't make sense of it, but I think even now you could do something. And, and I find this so interesting because it's like, okay, Martha, which one is it? You know, if you were here, you're like, you're doubting him. But then you're like, but I know you can do it. So I know you can do something about it, Jesus. So now you believe. Which one is it? Is it doubt or belief? And Martha would say, yes. <laughs> it's both. Right now, it's a little bit of both. And for some of us, that's where our faith is right now. Isn't that right? Like, for some of us, we, we want so badly to believe. But sometimes our doubt is just straight up crippling, isn't it? Again, hang with me, because Jesus rolls with this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, Martha answered. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is the Sunday school answer, okay? This is what she learned in synagogue as a kid. Like, like the, the, yeah, no, I, I know, he'll rise again. I'll see, you know, and, and this is what you've been told at funerals as well. Like, this, this is not the end. You're like, yeah, I know, I'll see them again, you know. And inside, she, inside she's thinking, but you could have done something before that, right? Yeah, I know, he will rise again, but why weren't you here? And then Jesus says this, and this, this is amazing. This is verse 25. This is so bold. This is a, a, this is a new claim. This is, he is not, in the Gospel of John, this is the first time he said something this bold about himself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Y y yes, yes, you're, you're right. We will rise again. We are we're, we're eternal souls. We will rise again. Martha, look at me. I want you to know something. I am the resurrection and life. When you look at me, you're looking at that power. When you're looking at me, you're looking at the source of life. When you're looking at me, you're looking at the resurrector, the one who will come back and smooth this out, who, the, the one who will come back. And, and as people are crying out and the injustice that's going on in the world, he will come and bring justice. In Revelations, we, he's, he's discussed, he's talked about, Jesus has talked about the one who will wipe away every tear. He, he, he's like, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who will right the wrongs. Do you realize how bold of a statement that is? If someone had said that to you, you would be like, doo -doo, and walk away. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one, he, he just keeps going, the one, not, not just you, Martha, but any, that's like anyone now in the future, like, like the, anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. 
And whoever lives by, there's that word again, believing in me will never die. And then he says this, turns it back to her, he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. Deep breath, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world, even though you didn't show up. I believe that. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, we've heard this before, my brother would not have died. The beaten pounding on the chest, and again, Jesus rolls with the punches. Check out the emotion that starts in, in, in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that had come along her also weeping, the, just, the people are broken, they're crying around him. It says this, he was deeply moved in spirit. And he was troubled. Now, these details are so important. Because here we find Jesus is not this stoic, flat affect machine, you know, walking around like, like, like Pac-Man saying, have faith, have faith, have faith. You know, like, like, like no, we start to see he, he's deeply moved in the spirit. I, you know, like, John makes it clear. He's like, you have to understand, like, the Jesus, I saw him. I saw him in that scenario, and there was something I saw in his face that, that hurt in response to, again, this is, this is a passage that helps us to see how God views the suffering that you and I go through. And if we learn from this, it, it hurts him as well. Check it. Where have you laid him? Verse 34, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says two words, the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Shortest word verse, but one of the most powerful verses to me. Because it means that, that, that even though Jesus knows what's about to happen next, he knows what he's about to do, but he's still experiencing the pain that his loved ones are experiencing. He, he was still next to, he was still experiencing the pain that Mary and Martha were feeling at the grave. And it's the same goes for you and me. The same pain that you have felt at the grave of your mother, of your brother, of your child, of your friend. Jesus feels that pain with you. Jesus weeps with you. He mourns with us. Isn't this incredible? This is God in human flesh. And he weeps. He knows the good that will come of it, and he still is not okay with it. Verse 39, what happens next is so strange. He says, take away the, it must have been so strange of the, to, to them to hear this. Like, we get it because we know what's about to happen. Like, yeah, that makes sense. You've got to open the tomb before the guy can, you know, walk out of it. Can you imagine hearing this from Jesus? Okay, yeah, take me to the tomb. Okay, now, Take the stone away, he said. And here's some comic relief. He says, Martha says, but Lord, the sister of dead men says, by this time there is a bad odor, for it has been four days, God. Remind, Jesus, remind me, you know, I'm reminding you, it's been four days, you're late to the party. He's, he's it, it, the, the, the King James version of this, 
says that Martha says, but Lord, by now he stinketh. (laughs) Which means we learn a lot about who Martha is in that instance, don't we? She's that woman. We we all know that woman, right? That's, That's just like, Febreze and holsters, both sides, like just waiting for something to stink and be like, psh, spray it, psh, you know? That's Martha. She's, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> Please, can we keep it closed? It's so funny. Did I not tell you? Verse 40, Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. They took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, and this is, this is a really odd prayer. Father, I thank you for that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear, always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might, there's our word again, say it again, believe that you sent me. So, so he's like, okay, God, you know what's about to happen. I know what's about to happen, but they don't. So would you make sure that they know that there's a, this connection between you and me, that what I'm doing is not just, you know, like, like not just like this one moment, but this actually has a, you know, has a, has a bigger reflection or symbolism for, for more that's what's to come, you know, like, you know, that has implications for their life. Can we make sure, everybody hear me? Did everybody hear that prayer? Did you hear, me hear, hear that prayer? Good. Okay, let's burn this candle. He says, he says this. He says, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped, so it's like he hopped out. His hands and feet wrapped in linen, cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, checkmate. Okay, he didn't actually say that. Remember, like like making sure you're paying attention. But he could have. He could have at that moment said, checkmate. Death, no. No, no, death, death doesn't win today. I win today. See, here's the thing about Jesus. If you read the Gospels, you, you get this impression. There are certain things that happen. When, when, it's like Jesus pulls a David Blaine and totally freaks everybody out. If you guys know David Blaine, the, the magician, there's this one um, scene where he's like in Harrison Ford's house and he does something that's like just downright creepy how he, he did it. Harrison Ford's not even entertained. He's like, get out of my house. Okay, that, that, this, is, this is one of those moments with Jesus. And this happened often. There was this one time that they're on a boat and there's a storm going crazy and the disci- disciples are scared. And then Jesus wakes up from a nap. Somehow he's sleeping. He gets up on the bow of the boat and he says, Peace flat sea. And then it says this, the, it does not say this, the disciples were so happy because the, the storm was not, you know, the, it says the disciples feared a greater fear. <laughs> they, they were no longer afraid of what was outside of the boat, they were afraid of who was inside the boat with them because he calms, nature responds to his name, to his, his words. That's a powerful dude. I'm not sure I want to be on the same boat with that dude. Same thing here. I think when, when Lazarus hopped out of the grave, people said, oh, wow, ah! like they freaked them out because this guy has so much power. That's Jesus. Take off the clothes. Let, let, him, let him out. He's alive. I win. 
this last verse, verse 45, you guys don't have this one, but it says, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and they believed in him. Jesus was willing to not only allow suffering, like, like in, in this case, it's almost like he created it so that people would believe. Why did God even allow this button? Why did God, like, like why does this lever even exist, this option for us to? Because God knows that in the end, something so vital, so in the end, he can win. We win. He, he knows that even in the end, despite all of this evil, yes, I know it's bad, but checkmate. I win. You can be on my side. It'll be all right. He knows that through suffering, suffering can cultivate and bring something about in us that wouldn't have happened otherwise. See, this is good. there's good news and bad news with this whole message. Let's start with the bad news. The bad news is bad things are going to happen. We're not going, and not only that, another piece of bad news is not only are bad things going to happen, we're not going to understand why. I can't make sense and explain and bring purpose to all of the things, the, the struggles and, and trials you face in life. I can't. It's the bad news. The good news is it, God can. See, hardship, hardship is not the exception to the rule. It, it is part of our story. That, that's bad news. Th that's just life in enemy territory. But the good news is our faith is not in a good God who will never allow anything bad to happen to us. That's not what your faith and my faith is based on if you're a person of faith. It's not based on everything being hunky-dory. That's called circumstantial faith. It's here today when things are good and gone tomorrow when things are bad. Our faith is stronger than that. See, our faith is in the God of the New Testament, the God of Lazarus, the God, the God of... He's the God who is familiar with suffering, who, who, who takes it face on, who takes it on the chin, who's willing to go, not only, not only is he not afraid of suffering, he's willing to take it on himself because Jesus would eventually go to the cross, the, maybe the greatest crime that's ever been committed, killing the Son of God. And he's able to leverage that for huge redemption, for, for, for huge implications for you and for me. That's the good news. See, we need to create some more categories in our theology, I think. See, we, we, sometimes I think we're looking at things too black and white. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? That's, that's, that, that's not the right question. The right question is, how might a good God, who is also all-powerful, all-knowing, and zealous, for a relationship with us. He is willing to go to great lengths to have a certain type of connection and a relationship that's built on trust. Every good relationship is, right? How is God willing? The question is, how might a good God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, and super zealous about a good relationship with us, how might he be able to leverage the tragic situations that we face in our life and bring us to a level of faith that we haven't experienced yet. 
We've experienced that. Even, even, even outside of faith, you've experienced this. You know, hey, we're going about our life, and then we got the cancer scare. And that was bad, but what it did for our marriage. You know, you've heard those stories. Maybe that's your story. You know, like, I, yes, I wish that my kid wasn't struggling through this, but man, the hugs that we get as we try to sort this out together. We get that. Could it be the same things happening with God through the tragedy, through the suffering, as we are, we are able to come to him and connect with him in a way not yet seen? I dare say yes. And in the end, checkmate. Here's another piece of good news that, that I want to draw from this passage is how Jesus rolls with our doubt. The, 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 I don't want us to miss in the Lazarus passage the, the, the presence of love that Jesus has for the people despite their lack of faith. And the same thing goes for you and me. There, see, here, some, of you, some of you here came here to hear this today. There is room for doubt at the table of faith. There is room for doubt. Like, like God can handle it. There's room for disappointment at the table of faith. There's room for, for I, I don't know if I believe, but I, I want to believe. We saw that with Martha. That's Martha. These are the founders of the, our faith. John, Martha, Mary. These are, these are the core members. And, and, and John writes it down. He says, I just want you to know we struggle. There's room for that kind of doubt at the table of faith. You can find evil extremely unsettling. I do. And still have vital faith. There are things that are going to happen in life I can't explain. I can't bring meaning and purpose to them. And yet, you can still believe. Because Jesus, is said, just like Jesus said to Martha, to Mary, he says, he says to us, and he says to a dying world, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not die. Do you believe this? Do you, that was a question for you. Do you believe this? Because these words that Jesus spoke to Martha are spoken to you today. Do you believe this? If you do, you're able to look, the, the, the person of faith is able to look adversity straight in the eye and say, this sickness will not lead to death. And see here, that's, that's the application I want for you today. I challenge you, if you consider yourself a person of faith, I challenge you in prayer this afternoon to, to, to bring, bring what's heaviest on your heart to God. Rant. Pound on the chest of Jesus. I, honestly, I'm serious. He can take it. And then, but your last line of your prayer needs to be, this sickness does not lead to death. Lord, this is horrible. But I believe that this sickness, what I'm going through right now, will not lead to death. Can I tell you why I'm a Christian? The Christian, the reason I'm a Christian is the Christian worldview will not being able to make sense of everything. 
I believe it makes the most sense. Does that make sense? I, I really felt like I needed to end here. I, we could have ended just right there, but I want to end here because I want, I want us all to see that this isn't just blind faith. Even though we don't understand everything, doesn't mean that, 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 that nothing has meaning. Uh, while, while being, the Christian worldview, while being able to make, not being able to make sense of everything that's going on right now, I believe it makes the most sense in a world that's full of good things, but full of some really bad things. It's, it's the best explanation. While it does not explain everything that is happening, I do believe it's the best explanation of what is happening around us. We are in a war. But we do not need to lose heart, for he has overcome the world. Next week, two weeks, two weeks from now, next gather service, we will tag, honestly, it will feel like Checkmate is just getting started. Uh, I'm really excited um, because it's, it's, uh, it's, we're going to be able, now that we have this basis, we're going to talk about, okay, now how do we live in light of the fact that we're winners, that we are on the right side, that, 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 that good will prevail? How does that change our lives now? And for the, the following three weeks, it's going to be some exciting stuff. Please come next time uh, as, as we dive into the, to really the meat of this series. Let me pray for us. Father, I know that today there are men and women that are literally right in the middle of this. Circumstantially, like circumstances are, 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 are bad around us. And they're trying to make sense. And, and some of them are turning to you, and some of them are afraid to. If they're completely honest, the idea of praying is difficult. And I pray, Lord, that they would leave today knowing that you can take it. Knowing that there's room for doubt at this table. And Father, um, I pray that, that even, even today, even in the next couple of days, that you would... Lord, we know we can't understand everything that's going on, but Lord, I pray that we will be able to see you in the suffering that we're, we're, we're currently experiencing. That's my prayer for us, is that in, in the next couple of days, we would be able to see, see the world the way that you see the world. God, thanks for, these, for, for preserving this story, for preserving this account. Thanks for, for being the conqueror, the resurrector, the, 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 the resurrection and the life. I pray that if there's anybody in here today that doesn't believe that, Lord, that, that today might be the day that they, they, they consider what does that mean and come to you, the author of life. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thanks for these people that I love so dearly. In your name, amen. Would you stand with me?